do this. That's how, that's actually the let's do this is good because that's when I know when to like edit. That's what I've been doing the last three times. Um, so Eric, what did you think of the book? Um, I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, all right, so the big one, I think that this book could have been consolidated down to maybe like two to four pages. Um, I guess that's probably true of most like self-help types of books. There's usually maybe two to four handful of pages of meat, and then the rest of it is just stories and all of the other ways to try and help people remember and give them additional context on how to apply the material. Um, which in hindsight, some of it was really interesting. I like the stories about target and some of the businesses, how people have applied these habit cue, uh, like the habit loop, which I'm assuming we'll jump into in just a moment, but yeah, I think it could have been consolidated down and I went looking and sure enough, people had created like six page summaries of the book that had all the detail and they even had spare uh, places on the page to actually talk about some of the stories as well. So um, probably a little bit long for my tastes. Yeah. Um, I think we're totally on the same page. So I go, I go into this book and based on our last podcast, I talked about my blog post about scheduling and scheduling time for things and taking, taking your goals and turning them into actions. And I see this book called power of habits and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is exactly up that alley and I'm like thinking, okay, let's, let's see what it like, what's their hacks, what's their suggestions. And like, I felt like the first few chapters, we get into an interesting discussion on long-term memory and short-term memory and the relationship and the habit loop. Um, talking about the gentleman with a brain injury and such and how he was able to remember certain things kind of by long-term memory. Like, okay, this is really interesting. So like, the stuff about Alcoholics Anonymous I thought was really interesting. And that was like, that was when things just, I felt like after that kind of slowed down pretty, pretty poorly in the book. And I started getting really lost, not lost, but just absolutely bored and tired of the stories over and over again. Um, uh, I don't know if we want to go through the book chronologically, but like but basically the middle part, you get into all these like stories and anecdotes about how people were able to like really take advantage of the power of habit and all these little things that they did. But I felt like there was no like meat to it. It was almost like, okay, great. Like, I'm glad they did it, but how does that work for me? How does that actually work in my life? Um, I'm not running a ginormous American aluminum company. I'm not the coach of the Indiana Colts. I don't like the, the <clears throat> how do I put it? It's almost like it was all results without any like template or any like actions to take and apply to, um, like my actual life and what things I want to do. Um, and then I don't know if you had it in your book, but in my book, um, if you go to the end, there's a couple of sections. Um, so part three, you get into the habits of society and the very end, the last chapter is a neurology of free will. And I was like, okay, is there something in here? And it was like nothing. It was just a story of like, okay, are people legally culpable for actions based on habits? 
And it was like, okay, that doesn't give anything. And then you go two more chapters and there's this afterward. And I don't know if you got that. There was like some things learned about weight loss, smoking, procrastination and teaching. Like, okay, here we go. Now we're going to have like actual personal stuff. Nope. You know what? It was just more stories about people and their success stories with this book. And I'm just like, are you serious? Where like, where's the meat to this? Like, where's the actual, like, here's what you can do. Um, so there, I think we could go through the book piece by piece a bit, but that's kind of, I was disappointed. I felt like, like you said, you probably could narrow it down to like six pages or two pages and you'd get the meat of it, but that was about it. Yeah. So to make a comparison, have you ever heard of or read a book um, about nonfiction stories? Like um, there's a book that is about um, embalmers, uh, morticians, and talking about different types of jobs they've had to do. So they're all true, but it's just a collection of short stories of them telling these stories, like these things that happen in their careers. Uh, similar with like Holocaust survivors. Um, this book felt like it was more a an anthology of short stories that touch on habits and less so on practical advice on how to actually do things in your own life with habits. Um, maybe that has to do with us not being the target reader because yeah, there were very, very few examples of, uh, just everyday sorts of habits being changed. Um, a lot of them were very extreme examples and I don't think that they would apply to many people. Um, let's, let's go through the book, um, piece by piece. We'll start with part one. Um, and really that first chapter talking about the habit loop, I thought was probably honestly like the most interesting, um, those first, those first, the first part, part one, the habits of individuals I thought was the most interesting. Um, yeah. Can you share the habit loop? So yeah, let me explain the habit loop a little bit. Um, the kind of, the way it works is, um, and I'll just quote the book, the process within our brain is a three-step loop. First, there is a cue, a trigger that tells your brain to go into automatic mode. That is, which habit to use. And then there is a routine, which can be physical or mental or emotional. And finally, there's a war reward. Um, and they talked about these mice. And an the animal was placed in a T-shaped maze with chocolate on one, and the maze was structured so that each rat was positioned behind a partition that opened with a loud click sound. Initially, when a rat heard the click and saw the partition disappear, it would wander up and down, sniffing in the corners and scratching walls. It appeared to smell chocolate, but couldn't figure out how to find it. When it reached the top of the tea, it often turned to the right, away from the chocolate, and then wandered left. So the basic premise there is that the habit loop is a an event that happens, like a cue, the, the trigger. There's a routine. And that's the thing that happens after the cue. Um, that is, uh, as far as I grab, that's the actual habit. Right. Yep. And then and, and there it makes, is a reward. And it makes sense, like, from an evolutionary standpoint, like, the idea being, like, you want to offload as much energy to be used by the brain so then you turn it into a long-term uh, <clears throat> memory and a habit loop as opposed to, like, using a lot of energy uh, for the human body, you know, trying to minimize the amount of energy the human body uses and rather than doing conscious, have to do conscious thinking to do stuff. You just use a habit loop and have it 
um, part of that part of the brain where it uses less energy. So it makes total sense from an evolutionary standpoint. And I think they get into that a little bit. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, what were your thoughts on it? I do like the, uh, the introduction of the habit loop, the cue routine and reward. Um, I do have some challenges with it. Um, there are actually two things that I feel like weren't explored enough that are pretty close to this habit loop. Um, one of them is uh, discipline or willpower. Um, they did touch on that a little bit, how um, like setting deadlines or making yourself accountable by um, involving other people or having a support group um, or making decisions that are important early in the day. Um, kind of like you were saying, you want to uh, free up your mind. Yep. You have more mental energy to incorporate uh, changes into your habits earlier in the day than at the end of the day, just because at the end of the day, you're drained. Um, so they did explore willpower a little bit. Um, however, I feel like an area that they, I really wish they had covered or the author had covered was discipline. Like it seems that some people can wake up and just start a change in their lives and are consistently successful at doing that. Whereas other people and maybe even most people have a really hard time. And I don't think it comes down to some people are identifying these cues, routines and rewards more easily than others. I think there's some yeah. other element and I don't think that the book really touched on that. Yeah, I um, agree. Like the kind of, there's the idea like the willpower can only be used so much during the day. Like it's not really touched upon. Um, and like you said, like how, okay, how do you make yourself more disciplined? What are the thing, ways you can do that? Yeah. And there are examples that I thought of that I would love to have seen explored in this book, like uh, military where you aren't given the opportunity to think you are just expected to do. And that seems completely contrary to some of the elements in the, the business change portion of this book, where uh, in order to incent people in a business or a social setting to change, you can't demand that change. You have to provide them some kind of a cue, like leading by example. You have to find that uh, habit or the routine that you want to do steer towards in an organization and then provide some kind of a reward. Um, I'm not convinced that the book stating that you can't demand those sorts of things is true because there are lots of situations where something will just get hammered into you until it is in completely internalized. It is reflex. It is habit. And May, I mean, maybe it could be distilled down to like the cue is that someone told you you're going to do this or you are out of here or your reward instead of a reward was punishment or something like this. So maybe it still fits, but it was an area that I think would have been relevant to a lot more people and would have been really interesting, but wasn't covered or wasn't explored enough. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So the next chapter, we talk about the craving brain and how to create new habits. And this is where I feel like you kind of get the first uh, hint of where the book is coming from. And it's a story about Pepsodent. 
and getting people to actually brush their teeth. And this feels more like, um, how do I put it? This feels more like how to take advantage of habit loops as opposed to necessarily how to improve yourself through a habit loop. So this chapter here is the first hint that I get that the book is more aimed at executives and business leaders and people who sell products as opposed to necessarily people who want to improve their lives. Because the story with Pepsodent as well as with Febreze kind of is targeting that and how to how to create new habits, but it's necessarily how to create new, not new habits for you or me, but how to create new habits for cut for potential customers. And, um, that, that was, it was interesting in and of itself, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking to get out of this book. Part two, the habits of successful organizations. So briefly, I'll just touch upon this. This is probably the least, um, interesting part about the book. Well, maybe not least interesting, but least useful. Um, so we get uh, four stories, essentially. We have the story of Paul O'Neill, who uh, headed was the CEO of Alcoa. I, uh, the only thing I knew about Paul O'Neill was that he was Treasury Secretary under Bush. I think he might have been the first one, uh, first Treasury Secretary under W. That was all I know. I heard something about CEO of Alcoa. I had no clue what Alcoa is. Um, but then we get into this whole story about how he, by changing the safety culture at Alcoa. They actually made more, more money. Uh, and then the second one was about Starbucks and about the CEO of Starbucks coming back about 10 years ago or so and improving Starbucks, <laughs> which is very, very apt today in the current news uh, cycle about Starbucks and taking a whole day off to do uh, racial sensitivity training, which I thought was interesting. Um, and then you have the power crisis. That's about the Rhode Island hospital leaving tools in people's bodies and then target, which you kind of touched upon, um, about how they're tracking people, um, and predicting habits. Um, that's, that's pretty much all I have to say. Like part two, just they're fine stories, but there's no like actual applicable meat to them as far as I was concerned. And that's a good chunk of the book, by the way, that's not just like, a small part of it. That's like the bulk of the middle of the book. And it also gave me an idea of, okay, this isn't really targeted for people to improve themselves. This is targeted at like CEOs and sales folks. Correct me if I'm wrong or disagree with me, but I, even as an executive, I don't know how any of this stuff is actually useful. Um, I think if you're a CEO, you buy the book, you read it and you go, this, this book is great. And then you tell all your underlings to read the book and they're like, well, what are we supposed to do with this? And it's like, we need to find habits, find me habits. And then a bunch of underlings find you a habit and, you know, you pretend like that a habit actually changed the company is what I kind of, what the pessimistic side of me, the cynical side of me sees in this book is like, there are some gullible CEOs who'll buy this book and think it'll actually help their company. But to me, it's like, I don't really see how this is actually useful um, because it almost has this like get quick rich idea where all you have to do is find that one habit like Paul O'Neill did and the dominoes will fall. In, well, everything will fall into place and then it'll all work out in the end. Um, that's kind of the feeling I got from this part too. I, so I'm pretty cynical and pessimistic about how useful that actually is to anyone, even a CEO. It might help employees identify when management isn't doing the greatest job. You know, if they are not trying, like if they are trying to mandate change or flip-flopping a lot, 
or trying to take lots of credit. Um, you know, those might be indications or indicators of um, really uh, just guesswork and uh, like failure coming soon in an organization, um, which could lead to attrition and all sorts of other things. Um, but yeah, it seemed very, very top heavy. A lot of this seemed to apply to people who are at some kind of leadership level. And I guess that's where big changes across a company tend to come from. Um, however, uh, how does, how does the rest of the organization who is actually doing all of the work actually make these kind of changes? Yeah. I mean, I'm not even, I think it's targeted to those people because those people have uh, disposable income to spend on books more so than it is targeted to those, those people because it's necessarily helpful. And that's just like the really cynical side of me when it comes to this. It's like, um, yeah, like I don't even think it's useful to an executive unless an executive wants to think that they actually have enough control over their company to do this. Um that's kind of my, yeah, that's, my thing. that's my cynical side. I don't know if you disagree, but there was another portion of the book that talked about uh, changing habits by identifying the cues, which um, this is actually one area that I did have a good chunk. Like I wrote this part down because uh, identifying cues seemed like when it would be a big challenge. If you just have a small bad habit that you want to change, identifying your cue seems like it would be a good first step. Um, so they had, they had this list of location, time, emotion, uh, other people around you or you reacting to some other event that happens as the five major cues um, for some kind of a habit. So um, my my takeaway, like a big portion of my takeaway from this book was the habit loop and those five things. The rest of it is this other part where you can't for sure fix a habit first try. You have to go through this like iterative process. You have to experiment and it could take a really, really long time. And the book goes as far as saying no bad habit can be completely squashed. You will never get rid of the bad habit. So you can replace a habit, but if five years down the road, you've been managing um, some kind of a, a bad habit in a better way, if something happens, like you have to foreclose on your house or you lose your job or who knows what, any kind of destabilizing thing happens in your life, it can send you back to your old habits, which was another area that was depressing. But to counter that depressing part, I mean, I think in the spirit of the book, it's trying to say, don't give up. That doesn't necessarily match with the stories because the stories are told in a way where something happens and great success. Um, I'm sure none of those really happened first try. Some of the examples specifically talk about like um, trying to get people to brush their teeth more. 
that that story actually did talk about some of the uh, failures of encouraging people to brush their teeth more. Um, so there is this this motivation to don't give up. Take take this habit loop, the cue, routine, and reward. Uh, identify cues. Try something out, and then if it doesn't work, don't give up. Just reset yourself and try something else. Yeah, I guess I think that's it's a really that's a really that's a really good analysis. Um, and like, yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a good good way to put it. Is like bad habits are hard to really squash. Um, and they may come back, but there's always a way to come back from, from where you are. And I think that's, that's a more positive spin to it is like, don't, don't give up if a bad habit were to come back, I think is, is a more positive spin to it. We get into, um, the neurology of free will, which I did read. Um, and that goes back to your point about how depressing it could be with this woman and like the fact that she got, she was bored. She built a habit. She ended up creating a habit. Uh, of gambling, and then of course her life goes downhill. Well, excuse me, she she ends up getting into debt. Um, then she seeks help. She gets help. Uh, a few years later, her, something some things happen in her life that um, just cause chaos. She goes back to gambling, and then goes back into debt. Um, and then then he compares it to a guy who sleep kills his wife. Uh, essentially and like how okay like are these on purpose should we treat these the same way in the legal system and I just was like at this point I'm just like I, I don't really like care what your opinion on this is like this isn't what I'm looking for like <clears throat> the whole discussion on free will is getting into a much more deeper philosophical discussion that I am not really interested in to get from this book or I'm not interested in this author's perspective on that question um, because that's not really what I was looking for when, um, when we got, when I originally started reading this book. So, um, and then I'll just briefly touch on the afterward at the end, which like, again, I hoped would have some material that would actually be useful uh, to me, but it ended up just being anecdotes about how, um, how the book was useful to other people, but not necessarily like specifically helpful to the reader of the book uh, per se. Can I ask so, you another question? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So after reading this book, is there any interest in applying the uh, key routine reward and the changing habit to anything in your own life? Even though you don't feel like there were a lot of relevant stories to you, do you still want to try it out on anything? Yes. I think there, there's an, um, how do I put it? There's an interest to try out something, but it's more, and I, I need to think, okay, what are the hab, what's the habit I want to target that would be able, that I could actually experiment with and uh, play around with. I think that is kind of where I'm at right now. So yes, there's an interest in it, and I think I'll just need to keep thinking about it and figure out how uh, what's the best fit or what's the best way to um, apply something like this uh, to my life. How about you? Nothing jumps to mind. I have some new habits that I'm trying to. Hmm. I don't even feel like habit is the right way that I would say it. <laughs> um, like a lot of mine revolve around just wanting to be more active. 
And I've got plenty of ways to do that. The thing is, I don't have bad habits or existing habits that are preventing me from doing that. It's just, um, I've done them before and, uh, would like to resume doing them. Um, I've already talked about stretching, mobility training. Uh, my new one is jogging. Um, so it just felt a little, a uh, little extra that I can do to get myself moving around because at, at a desktop job over uh, 20 years, I've felt like I'm becoming too sedentary and I want to live long enough to, and stay active enough to spend quality time with my family. So um, I don't think I'm going to escape those bad habits. So there are things that I want to add into my life to counterbalance them. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point and a great plan as far as um, integrating habits and cues and such and figuring out how that, how that works. I think that's it. Anything else you want to talk about before we close out? Mm. Do you want to do another book sometime in our future? Talked about a uh, potential book club, um, but it seems like we were uh, fairly uh, put off by the quality of the book. So is this something that you'd want to try again with a different book? So I think this brings up another topic that I've been wanting to talk about in like the idea of productivity porn and the whole culture out there and a whole book market of these books that sell you on an idea that will change your life and make you more productive. But in the end ends up being, um, just a way to wait, a way to get your money. Um, and that's kind of like what this book kind of burned me on was like, yeah, like I'd love to do another book, but these books just, they end up being like, like you said, you pretty much could summarize everything in two to five pages and you'd get everything you need out of the book. Um, and said, this is just another, another book with a great cover that targets executives who have disposable income and want to figure out an easy way to, uh, take their company to the next level, um, whether it's by uh, integrating good habits or uh, hacking customers' behavior, uh, such as Target and Pimpsit and, and such. Uh, um, so it kind of like it kind of renewed my already cynical view of a lot of these books and like kind of the whole productivity book culture. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Do I want to do another book? Yes. Am I going to do it anytime soon? Maybe another four episodes. If you have a book that you think would be helpful, great. But um, as far as I'm concerned, like uh, I'd rather wait rather than have to uh, find another, like then suggest a book that may or may not be the best fit um, or may not even be useful. Does that make sense? I think so. Um, I guess uh, one clarification, if you could, Um, do you Um, think that a lot of these books could be, distilled down to a short uh, handful of pages summary. Um, is that for productivity books specifically or as a category or uh, more generally as any kind of self-help book? Any kind of self. Yeah, I think you're well, 
what's the difference between a self-help book and a productivity book? Like, how would you define the difference between those two categories? Uh, for example, a self-help book could be something specific about finances that isn't necessarily trying to help you become more productive, but just give you more knowledge about how to approach your finances wisely. Yeah. Um, for example, like instead of just investing in a 401k or mutual fund, providing strategies that could help you through a slump um, just by diversifying. Yeah. So, I almost I feel know, like maybe that could be categorized as productivity, but yeah, it's I, would even, I don't know if I'd even categorize it as self-help as necessarily personal finance. Like to me, self-help can be a very superfluous category. Um, um, and productivity, I feel like is a little bit more concrete about what it's, what it's about. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good question. What's the difference between self-help books and productivity books? Like I'm not, I'm not sure there is a hard, hard and fast rule. Um, but back to just answering your question. Yeah. I would say self-help books, 90% of them could probably be distilled to a few pages. A classic example for me is like something like, um, the whole GD, GD, GTD series of books and how, like, I feel like those could be summarized in a few pages. And I think there's a lot of superfluous material in there and even material that may be outdated at this point. Um, and you'll, you'll just, I feel like I've read these books and a lot of times it's a lot of like <laughs> anecdote. Uh, filled with a lot of anecdotes, filled with a lot of high level uh, executive um, fodder and not really necessarily filled with uh, useful material. So do I want to read another book? Yes, but I'm going to be a little bit more picky about what book um, we pick next. Unless of course you have a book that you, you want to try out. <laughs> no, actually I'm going to be taking a uh, little bit of a break from nonfiction in general, because the last few I've read have taken a long time and I feel like, yeah, that afterwards I was able to distill the information down into such a short amount that afterwards, even in the context of like, this is a book that may help me with my own productivity, I felt like it wasn't a productive use of my time. Yep. That's a good point. That's a really at, good point. At, at the same time, we've, we've had this conversation. We're sharing the valuable things. So potentially by doing this, we are going to help other people. And I hope that we can save people the 20 to 30 hours of reading or listening to a book and just capturing the handful of things or encouraging them to go out and just grab the thesaurus or look for someone else's summary on self-help or non nonfiction productivity books um, to save yourself some time and still have some good takeaways. So that's the lesson we're teaching today. Our conclusion is that if you want to be more productive, don't spend 40 hours listening to this book. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Thank you for listening to the OK Productive Podcast with Leo Dion and Eric Gillespie. Music provided by Elisha Fitchcook. You can follow us on Twitter at OK Productive as well as our Facebook page. Be sure to subscribe to OK Productive wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll catch you soon.